The sociologist Marilyn Brewer, she talks about our need as humans to stand out and fit in, but you can't do both. And so in the middle of that is called optimal distinctiveness. And I think that's the, the thing we need to be talking about more is how do you fit in, but also how are you distinct and not so radical that you're like the outlier and people don't understand you at all, or you just sound kind of crazy, but you're in that sweet spot where you know yourself you can talk about your professional identity, but you also serve the needs and connect with the culture and meet what a company says. Hi, welcome to Unmatched, the podcast that gives you an exclusive behind the scenes access to industry leaders who fearlessly embrace change, pivot from their comfort zones and smash their glass ceilings. Dr. Berg, it's so lovely to have you on the podcast. Thank you for joining us today. I am thrilled to be here. I love having these conversations. Thanks for the invite. Absolutely. And I am honored to have you because, um, and I'll just say this quick story before we start. I discovered you on LinkedIn uh, about, let's say, a year ago. And since then, I read a lot of your, you know, your work and your research and, and also your book. And I I have to say I had an aha moment when I when I read that and I felt it's so different from anything else that I've read out there when it comes to professional identity that I had to chat with you in person and to get your you know insights on that. So before going into that, I want to hear from you. Who yeah. are you and <laughs> and what led you to this journey? Oh my gosh, it's such a big question and it's definitely a perfect starting point. You know, this is not something I ever anticipated becoming or being. I didn't even know you could become a professional identity researcher. So I'm really in a new field that I've invented, but it's the consequence of going through a very windy, jagged, crazy career journey where I was trying a lot of things and not knowing who I really was and just doing what I thought I was supposed to do, the shoulds and the expectations. So quick background on me, I started in art and design education. And I have an undergrad degree um, from an art school and a grad degree. And I didn't know what to do after I graduated from college. I had a complete professional identity meltdown. And I didn't even know professional identity was a term. It was just, oh, what do you want to do after you graduate? Go get a job. And I struggled and, and slowly found my way into teaching and nonprofits. And that helped me build up my confidence and realize I do have value to the world. But eventually all these job titles and different roles I was taking would box me in and I would get bored. You know, I'd feel like I can't use all the different parts of myself or there's more I want to enjoy and explore and grow into. And these jobs are too confining. I'm getting labeled. And so after enough time and I, I went back to get my Ph.D., that's when I realized I don't know how to answer the question, what do you do? And that was sort of the catalyst that made me say, who am I? Like, how do I see myself in my work? And I'd never asked myself that question before. So even just coming up with the question of what is your professional identity and it's not your job title was a groundbreaking way to say there's more to this whole career idea than people have told me about. And I think that's what I'm unlocking for other people too, is empowering you to see yourself a way that the rest of the world hasn't given you a label and really talking about your authentic truth in your work. So that's a little bit of how I got here. I find it fascinating, I'll be honest, because essentially you're saying that everything that society is telling us that we should be doing, which is, you know, follow a career path or, you know, first go to college 
get a job, follow a career path, and stick to it is sort of wrong because we need to figure out who we are. So I'm just wondering, why is that important? Why, why is that something that we should care about, professional identity? Yeah, so gosh, such a great question as well. First of all, in this space of professional identity I'm in, I'm blending three disciplines together. So I'm using personal branding tools and techniques. I'm looking at the career development space. And then I bring in a lot of identity development research, which is like how humans grow and change. And if you know Eric Erickson, he has eight stages of development. And one of them is role confusion and sort of identity clarity. And so we hit these moments of identity confusion multiple times of our life, but we don't talk about that. We talk about it as when you're a teenager and you're an adolescent, and then we say, oh, you figured it out. Like now you know who you are and you're going to school and you become an adult. That's just not the case. And so I think <laughs> that's my dog in the background. No worries. He's, he's also a guest. <laughs> he's, he's a guest, just not on the, <laughs> the audio. Um, it's not bad or wrong that this question of like, what is your professional identity isn't widely out there yet. I think it's just sort of a hidden sort of unspoken thing. And that's why I'm calling it out. We do need to use job titles in the workforce. I'm not against those. It's part of structure and how companies function. But again and again, and we saw this a ton during the pandemic and the great resignation, when you lose your job, and it could be because you decide to resign or you're laid off or you didn't get the promotion, like whatever happened, people literally lose a sense of themselves. Their identity with their job is so intertwined that without that job, they like have a, a breakdown. So anyway, I, I think this is just a really important time to start exploring the workforce is changing. The way we see workers and what they need is completely changing. Like there's all these employee engagement conversations that are just like driving employers crazy because employees are saying we need more than just fitting the expectations you told us. And so I think the power is shifting right now in the workforce to employees wanting to have more fulfillment, more purpose, more impact and identity knowing themselves is a critical part of that. Okay, so let's all maybe let's go back to when should we start to look into this? I have so many questions. I think this this episode is going to take hours. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I I started to question this maybe a little bit before turning 40. Yeah, yeah. And so I, I do think that I've been carrying it this this question all my life, but because we, we tend to find ourselves in this hamster wheel of okay, I'm here and then I need to go next and then next and the next and and it never stops and you never say you never find a moment that is good enough for you to take a break break and say, Okay, I have a time now for me to just figure out myself and what I actually like doing. It's because the the sort of the the ball is rolling, right? So you're out of your studies, and hopefully you don't want to waste the money that you've paid for your your studies, and you want to get a job, and that first job gets you to the next one. I found myself right before turning forty, which maybe is this midlife crisis thing as well, sort of asking me this exact question. But in your opinion, when? How should it work? What what would be the ideal way of dealing with this? And at which stage of, of your professional life do you need to sort of take this break or reassess who you are, what your skills are, what you're good at, what you love doing? Which, by the way, it's also good that you have some experience behind you so that you actually know what you're talking about. Because at the beginning, you, you don't really know, right? Yeah. So where do we start is what I heard you kind of ask, but there was so many layers in that question. 
I think we need to have a culture shift. Like the way career development is set up is very skills-based. And I can tell you the theory behind all of that and how that got there, but it's a matching system of we need workers who can do X and we're looking for job descriptions that describe that. And we're hiring people that fit a box. Like that is how the workforce is designed. So that's how colleges and universities and the education system is built too. I mean, it's just one big system. But I do think people that are younger and the Gen Zers are a little bit more awake to use that terminology. Like they are a little bit more self-aware that they don't have to follow the norms and the standards. And the stories that they've been told from their parents don't apply to their generation anymore. This idea of go to school, get a degree, be in a job for 20, 30 years, retire, and you're done. That is an old narrative. So this old story is is over and what's really happening is people go to school and they get a job but then it's like learning and relearning and upskilling and going in and out of the workforce and taking a break and traveling and freelancing and going back to a full-time job so it's a non-linear very multifaceted path in fact i have trouble with the term career path and we can have a conversation on that too so i think where we need to start is changing this question about what do you do and changing the question about what do you want to be when you grow up because those are just old-fashioned the questions are really, how do you want to feel in your work? Like, what do you care about? What are the values today that you have? Do you care about having social impact? Do you care about making a lot of money? And those are better guideposts to direct you, at least at that stage in your life, because these things do change about every five to 10 years. I see the phases of I'm a different person now, or I care about things in my 40s that are different than my 30s. So I would love our 20-year-olds to start understanding they're going to have a career that is multifaceted. You don't have to just choose one thing and lock into that. Degrees are expensive, so there's a contradiction with what I'm saying and how the education system is set up. But I think people need to have more autonomy, freedom, and less pressure from early on to choose the one thing and be locked in and have it all figured out. I'm doing my research and finding people are doing so much reevaluation or they're disillusioned. They were promised one thing and told if I start this career and climb a ladder and I get this promotion, my life will be great. And sometimes they get to that level and they plateau and they go, I achieved all these things, now what? Like it's not what I thought it would be. Or I tried to achieve all these things and everything went wrong. Like none of it's working out, like this is BS. And so everyone's having these frustrating experiences and thinking they're the only one suffering. And truthfully, I think it's more normal than not. So I want to just dispel these old expectations and shoulds and literally my next book is about career belonging, which is an extension of your professional identity because knowing yourself then helps you figure out what kind of career are you trying to create for yourself and where do you belong? And belonging is another big giant topic. So I'm going to pause there. Yes, I, I completely uh, align with everything that you said. And, and it just makes me think, though, when you're young, you and I think about my own experience, you don't feel you have so much choice right? You, you you sort of start anywhere and you feel like, okay, if I'm given this first job, it's such a great opportunity. I need to make it work. And there's so much pressure on making it work and, and, and making it a success. And then once you're there, you're, you're sort of going into this sort of paddling forward. And, and that takes you to the next step. There, there's no real time to take a break at that point, because there is so much pressure to just make it work, right? In your opinion, what what is is there a testing phase that you'd say for young people that they can sort of allow themselves to experiment because I can also see 
I can see a lot of the young professionals that I work with, that I've been in touch with, um, whether in my teams or that I've known professionally for different reasons, and I see them so hang up on that first job. And when I look at my own experience, I think, oh, I, like I've tested so much and I've, I've failed and I, you know, and I tried so many things and that was actually beneficial. Do you feel that there's a testing phase that we should all sort of put into this process called career and sort of just see it like that and not add the added pressure to it? Yes, I love everything you just said. I, I would really say the only rules are that there are no rules. We just believe there are rules in place. It is very normal for people to be in a career for six months or six years and everything in between. Like, And, and that might be because you choose to move on or the company <laughs> chose for you. I do think there's a ton of pressure in your early 20s, whether you're a recent grad or you're going a different route to find that first job. And I, I think you're right. Like sometimes it's like, just get your first job and get some work experience under you because you actually need the thing outside of yourself to help you better define what you really do want and who you really are. Without the contrast, you can't see, you just don't know any better. So experience is very informative to help us figure ourselves out and figure our next step out. And you said it beautifully, it, it is a cycle that we go through. Actually, James Marsha came up with mama cycles. It's an identity construct that we go through these periods of exploration and then we achieve. We kind of figure out our next level of ourselves and then we get there and then we might go through another period of exploration and then achieve again. And so I think that's more normal that it's happening again and again. Everyone's rhythm and how many different times they explore is different depending on the person. But I think the first time someone hits it or hits it in a major way where it's like, oh my God, my life's falling apart. That's where we need these tools. And that's where we need more resources and advisors to say, what you're going through is part of the journey. Like this is a healthy thing. It's not a scary thing or it feels scary, but it's actually like a growth moment. I just think more people see it as a midlife crisis or oh my gosh, I'm the one who's not successful and how did my career fall apart? But it's like, this is part of the journey. So yeah, I think you're right. The, the experiences we accumulate are part of the testing, but you have to do that introspective, reflective part of what do these experiences mean to me to make sense of it all. And if this is all so normal, why don't we normalize it? Is the, is the immediate question that comes to my mind. Why is it that not more people talk about it, that it's not a more um, sort of normalized thing in society to look at it as a journey as opposed to achievements and goals and and failures? Why, why do you think that is? Oh, so many reasons. Um, one is we've been conditioned, right? Like we've sort of drinking the Kool-Aid and we don't realize that we've accepted what people have told us. And so when we think we're the outlier, we're like, oh, I'm weird. I'm the weird one. Nobody will understand me. And so that's honestly why I do the research and focus groups and interview people, because collectively, when you have a group of people in the room saying, I thought I was the only one, they go, oh my God, I'm not alone. So that that's part of that. Number two is we're lacking language. Um, that's a big part of what I realize I develop for people is a new way to talk about these things that are happening that we, we haven't had this vocab. And without the language to help us have a common shared understanding, people are saying things, but we're saying different things or just not making those bridges together. The third factor I would call out is the career development space and sort of the system or the machine of how companies and schools think about credentials and qualifications and how people are competent and how we evaluate who's a quality candidate or not. 
And there's been very regimented standards. And this stuff comes honestly from the 1900s with the industrial age where we had a mass sorting need and we needed people to just fill out assessment tests and personality profiles and say, you fit these things and we need that kind of person. But those systems are not how people feel and engage in today's world. Today's world is more about autonomy and freedom and choice and flexibility. So we have an old workforce and, and system set up for hiring workers that doesn't match the way workers want to feel. So we're in literally the edge of the paradigm shift where it's really uncomfortable. There's a lot of tension and it's going to take a few more years for these switches to flip. And some companies are going to adopt new practices sooner than others. And it's like any innovation, the, the ones that move slow are going to fail and lose workers, and that's going to hurt their bottom line. And the ones that innovate and are more engaging with employees and what employees need today are going to do better. So we have all these factors going on. I think that's why it's so hard. When I started to engage with your, with your content online, I was super interested in reading about the hybrid identity. And I would love for you to explain to us what it what it actually is. And I know that you have a hybrid title as well, which I would love to hear. Where, where does it come from and what, what, what does it do for someone? How does it help to have a hybrid identity? Yeah, so this comes back to what I said a moment ago about things that are obviously happening, but nobody's naming it or identifying it. And yet it's a phenomenon we experience. And until something's named, you, you literally can't talk about it. So what I was feeling and noticing, which I've learned is more common to other people than not, was that I have multiple sides to myself. I have multiple professional identities. I have a degree in art, and then I was a teacher, and then I became a researcher, and, and I'm a designer. How do these things fit together? Like, I'm getting a job as a designer because people see me that way and I can fit that box, but the other three parts of myself are lost in space, but they're also important to me. Like, what is, what is this mess I'm in? And so, kind of like you, it, it's taken me a decade where I was having these little revelations, but it sort of crescendoed. And what I came up with in my research is that there are three types of professional identity, and we typically only talk about two of them. So it's usually very binary. You're either an expert or a generalist, and that's, that's hard. I'm like, well, I fit both, but people are like, you can't be both an expert and generalist, or then there's the cliche of like, you're the general expert or the expert general, all this stuff. So I sat down with it and I realized, okay, let's, let's draw this as a Venn diagram and open up these circles. So circle one is having one identity and usually a person with one identity is an expert. And I call that singularity. So that's the first type. Then the second set is called multiplicity. These are people usually who are generalists or freelancers or multi-talented and polymaths. They have many professional identities and they list them. They're like, I can do this and this and this and this. I've had this job, this. And you're like, oh my God, you're so many things. I don't understand you. But then there's a third type and that's the category that I've helped define, which I called hybridity. Hybridity is where if it's a Venn diagram, the circles, the different identities are overlapping. That means that there's no separation. Everything is starting to merge and converge <laughs> and become a whole new entity in the middle of these different identities. So hybrid professional identity is the third one we've needed a name for, and it's working at that intersection between your other professional identities. When I came up with that language, it was like the biggest revelation in the sky because no longer did I have to explain to someone I'm either or. It was like, I'm hybrid and here's the combination. So that's what I've been explaining and that's what my first book is about. I apologize, can we pause? Cause I think my dog just needs to go outside. I'm really sorry, Oana. 
No worries. I feel bad for him because we've now just uh, <laughs> took him out of the picture. He was kind of funny. <laughs> he was bringing some extra touches to the conversation. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the home work from home life anymore. <laughs> Did I throw us off track? No, I, I was trying to get on track talking about professional identity. I'm thinking it's great this idea of having a hybrid identity but how do you how do you explain that in the context of a company where you know i mean it's great that i'm a hybrid professional but that's not needed for the job that i'm in is that even something is that more for me to know and just feel at peace with or is that something that the company should be aware of and and try to capitalize on in some kind of way yeah love that question so what i've realized is First, we need to have an awareness that these different types of professional identity exist, singularity, multiplicity, and hybridity. Because level one is understanding we have three options. It's not just either or. And then which option are you and which option does the employer need to hire for in that role? Because imagine if you have an expert who's hired for a generalist role, they're going to go crazy and be like, this isn't a good use of my skills and talents. And you hire the generalist to be the expert and they're like, well, I don't fit that. Like, this doesn't work for me. And it's the same with the hybrid. So the hybrid, so all three of these types matter to the workforce. I think they all play together and they form high-performing teams and companies. But if you don't have the right ratio for what you need to do in your company, that's where things get imbalanced and people feel disengaged or they start underperforming or they're unfulfilled. They're like, you don't get me. And it's true because you're not being used in the right way. So I think it's a conversation to have with your employer number one of, hey, there's this whole idea that there's different types of professional identity. Like, can we talk about that and explore that? And then B, like, I think I'm more of the hybrid. I'm integrating. And you have to have a rationale. You have to, like, I've got a ton of tools on how you explain that and give supportive evidence because just calling it out of thin air just feels a little, like, abstract. So you explain, like, I'm integrating the design team with with our data science group and our clients, and, and I've created this strategy that's doing that, and it's because I can do this hybrid thing. And they go, oh, like, see it in action. And then you can have better conversation with your employer for why your role doesn't fit you or what needs to change or how you want to grow or what support you need. So I really think these tools are to open up better conversations on needs, desires, and challenges with employer-employee performance and engagement. So that's how it fits in a company. It's funny because you mentioned generalists versus experts and then as a third category, the hybrid, right? I never thought about it this way, so I'm 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 curious to to sort of dig deeper into the differences because for example in my case I've always seen myself as a generalist. I've always worked in positions that were you know very general sort of general management positions in licensing specifically where you do a little bit of everything you're not specializing in anything and people don't really know how to deal with that because you you know a little bit of everything but you're not an expert per se. And then transitioned into a marketing role, which supposedly is an expert, but I cannot let go of my generalist, you know, background all of a sudden. So I have this, I have a very generalistic way of looking at things and very holistically. And then I'm sort of now supposedly an expert in marketing, you know, because that's what I do. And this is what I love doing. But having all that at the back of my mind, and I always thought that this meant I'm just weird. Is that what hybrid means or is that something else? 
Yeah, let's unpack this because that's a great example. And and there's a lot of new language and, and new explanations I'm giving to you. So we have all these terms like generalist can mean just general knowledge. But I, I use that as a quick reference to the idea of multiplicity. Someone in the space of multiplicity has many professional identities, but you could be an expert in three or four or 10 different things. Like it doesn't mean a shallow depth of knowledge um, just because you're in multiplicity. But the difference between multiplicity and hybridity is about interdisciplinarity. So someone who has many identities might just do one thing at a time. And those are sort of like you're multidisciplinary. You just are talented in marketing and then talented in contracts and talented in this but you've never overlapped them or you've never used part of your marketing identity in your contract space. I, I don't know the term for what you would be in that. Whereas the hybrid is interdisciplinary. So like a biogeochemical engineer is a whole new field. Like there are people that are hired with those three areas of expertise in a blend and that's the name of the job because it's all fused together. Like it's intertwined or a biz dev ops director is combining the business with the ops, with the um, development sides into a whole new thing, that convergence. So it's up to you to sort of understand in any given moment, what are you? And you, you can pull in and out. Like if you feel like you're a hybrid professional, you can still backtrack and just use one identity at a time. They don't always have to be hybrid. Or you can do a little of this and then a little of that and then go back to multiplicity. But the knowledge that you know what is what and when you are in which type is the power and that's your asset to talk about yourself so in your marketing right now you said you're an expert do you feel like you are isolating and just using that identity or how are you combining these other identities into it well it's a good question because i i never actually look at myself as just a marketing expert in quotation marks, whatever that expert thing means. But more, I, I mean, I, I don't think there's a way that you can do marketing without understanding retail, for example. I also don't think you can do marketing if you don't understand sales, because you're supposed to be pushing sales. I also don't think you can do marketing if you're not a good copywriter, because your job should be about, and of course, I'm, I'm not talking about, about an entry-level job, right? Because as we said, when you're an entry-level position, I think it's about development and it's about testing grounds and, and figuring out what works and what doesn't. But especially when you grow older and you grow sort of in a different level within the company, it's it, it all becomes much more intertwined than that. You cannot do marketing without being a good copywriter as well, right? You need to develop a sense of visual, you know, skill in, in order to be able to, to bring to life the campaigns. So to me, those, you can say, yeah, they're all sort of parts of marketing or they're all parts of business. I guess we also need to define what everything is, <laughs> what, what is sales and what is marketing and what is product and what is, because I also don't think you can do product without knowing marketing these days. And so it all becomes so confusing, no? <laughs> It's so confusing. I love this. And then this gets into the other level of the work, which is skills versus identities. So just because you can do a lot of those things, does that mean you identify like you see yourself as because you can do sales? Do you call yourself a salesperson because you can do copywriting? Do you call yourself a copywriter? Sometimes we can have many skills, but the bigger identity is I'm a storyteller and I do all these things in my storytelling or I'm an idea navigator and all of these properties are part of that. So a lot of what I'm trying to call forward for you are how do you see yourself 
And the baseline, like, it, so let's go back to the Venn diagram. Before you can fully understand if you have hybrid professional identity or that's really the space you're in, you have to know your primary professional identities. So I differentiate your primary ones versus secondary and tertiary. Let, let me step back. So one activity I do with people is a professional identity brainstorm. Like people have never sat down and listed all the identities they have just in the work part of their life. It's, it's really fun, it's very expansive, and it's very eye-opening. I make people list 50 different identities and we stretch and we use words they've never used before because the first 20 are all very typical and then, then they get more interesting. Out of those 50, let's say, you're not using all those identities every day. That would be exhausting. You're using some of them some days and some were from last year and some are nice to haves and some are must have. So there's kind of all these criteria. Your primary professional identities hit these factors. First, they are very high frequency. You love to use them probably every day. They are must haves. Like you need a role that will embrace identity A, B, and C of you because it's just that important. They are your greatest areas of expertise and you want to be known for them. You're like, I'm going to call myself X and call myself Y and call myself Z because like that's who I am. That's how I see myself. Anything that's outside of that scope is I call a non-primary or in the, the second tier. So now that you've narrowed down to these top primary professional identities, you can go, okay, do these identities ever combine? Do I ever see myself as the copywriter and the marketer at the same time? If so, then there's an intersection. And then we talk about, well, tell me a time when you were in the space as the copywriter marketer simultaneously. What were you doing? What did that look like? Why was that such an exciting, powerful, energizing place for you? If I didn't say this a moment ago, your primary professional identities have to light you up. They are so much joy and pleasure and, and just like it's, it's energizing. So there's all these factors that go into thinking about our professional identity and how we present ourselves and which ones matter to talk about so that people see us the way we wanna be seen. At the bottom line, at the end of the day, that is my goal for people. If you don't feel you're, you know, you're being taken advantage of or people don't understand you or no one gets what you do, part of that problem is you're not talking about yourself in the ways you want to be seen. And so knowing yourself first starts building that bridge and then you'll say, hey, I'm actually a hybrid or I'm a creative disruptor, even though I'm the program director because I'm doing blank. And they go, wow, that's that's language. Like they start to adopt what you say about yourself. So does that clarify that more? Yes, I think so, because the way you've, you're putting it is not so much what you know you can do, but more what you identify with. And I think what the way the, the way you explained it is in what do you want to be known for? It's pretty telling. And um, I get why brand building and, and personal branding has to do with all of this, because it's how you present yourself to the world. What is your hybrid identity? How do you call yourself? Yeah, so my primary professional identities, I have four of them. Four is the max, otherwise you start to get into secondaries. My primary professional identities are artist, educator, researcher, and designer. And at the intersection of all of those, I am a creative disruptor. That's how I see myself. And the creative disruptor is something I can trace back through all the jobs I've ever had. Like it really is that through line that's bigger than the sum of my parts. Even when I was in the classroom or when I was running an entrepreneurship program, I was like, I was creatively disrupting. And that language of naming myself that felt weird at first. And then the more I started to play with it, and I tell people, you have to try it on. You have to say it out loud. 
it just felt right. It was like, this is the name I've been waiting to find for myself that I never knew I was. And it helps me in any job or client work I do now talk about how I do it, why, why I am that no matter if I'm creating a website or writing a book, I'm like always the creative disruptor. Okay, that makes a lot of sense. Just trying to now turn the page a little bit and be devil's advocate for a second and, and put the hat on the company and, and just like think from their perspective. So I'm sitting across view and you're saying that you have this hybrid identity and that you're, you know, you, you can do all these different things. But I guess as a company, I want structure, right? And I want to make sure that everyone is in a position that sort of follows, you know, the description that I have there that, you know, that is the job that needs to be done. How, how do I bring those things together? Because, of course, I can, I can totally see how companies might struggle with this idea um, and not know what to do with it, you know, because especially because it's not something that it's so common to hear about yet, uh, hopefully more in the future. But for just right now, there's there's not a lot of conversation around this. So what what do you do with your employees that come to you and say that? And how should you as a company react to that? Yeah, I if you know anything about category creation and branding and, and company design, that's what this work is, but it's at the individual level. So this is cutting edge and I don't see this going anywhere. Like I think this idea of hybridity, I mean, we have hybrid products, we have hybrid industries, like it's just bringing it again to the employer individual level. So this is the future. I just wanna set that out there. And we're in the awareness and education phase of it, helping people understand this terminology and then educating on what it means, why it matters, why it's relevant and, and doing training and personal development around it or professional development rather. For employees to care, they need to understand. Let, let me give a story. I had an individual reach out to me a couple of weeks ago. He said, I haven't met you. I heard you on a podcast. I looked at your books. I started doing your tools and I applied it and it changed my entire work situation. So his story was this. Um, he, he was in some kind of like product design solutions, client facing space, maybe advertising of some kind. And during the pandemic, his company went through a merger. And so for about nine-ish months, he was lost in that shuffle. They were restructuring. They were creating new hierarchies, new job titles and roles. And they didn't know where to place him. And he was just sort of hanging by the sides, wondering if he was going to stay or go. Or, you know, it's just that awkward period. And what was happening is different employees would keep referring different projects or problems back to him. And so they'd be like, oh, you, you need the person that does that? Well, that's Simon. Go ask him. Or, oh, you're trying to figure out? Well, that's Simon. So the company's why do all these roads lead back to Simon? Like, what does Simon do in this company if this person, this person, this person, they're all different are telling us, like, he has the answers. And Simon was battling, talking to HR, and they're like, we're going to label you client services director. He's like, I'm more than that title. Like, that, I, I won't stay if you guys give me that title. So he hears about my work and the, the Venn diagrams. And he sits down and he does that for himself. He's like, what am I at the intersection of? And he figured out it was something with like strategy and clients and design and the technical side, I can't remember. And then he tested his elevator pitch on a couple people in the office. He said first he tried one colleague who didn't know him as well and she got it. And he was like, that was a good sign because if she understands it, it'll probably translate. And then he tried it with the director and they're like, yeah, that's interesting, I get that. So then a meeting was called 
because they thought, I guess the employer thought they were going to lose him. And they're like, oh, do you just want to negotiate salary? Like, what is it going to take to keep you here? And he's like, yeah, salary, all that is great. And I just need to feel like you guys see me and get me. Like part of this is just that deep human need of being seen and known. And so in the meeting room was like directors, um, some bosses, some HR people, like it was a whole meeting. And he gave a five slide presentation on who he was, what his Venn diagram was, what his elevator pitch was, maybe a couple other details. And he said it just worked. The Suddenly the people in the room were like, oh, this is what you do. This is how you bring value. Like it's hard to name the thing. And I guess they negotiated his new title, but it was something he felt it was reasonable and it fit the company's standards. But they allowed him to keep using the elevator pitch he created because that was a better definition of what he did. And it was a win-win. So it's this level of self-discovery and self-knowledge that's so important. And it's a lot of work. But then it translates and it builds that bridge back to the employer so that your value is seen, you both have this shared understanding, and it doesn't feel like as much friction anymore or confusion. So that's what I think this work is building into is empowering people to take charge of their identity, to have big conversations with employers. It's very profound. I find it, you know, and very disruptive, for sure. Creatively disruptive. (laughs) And you say that that's the future. And I 120% agree with that. Because especially you, you mentioned at the beginning, this shift from skills to something else, right? When you look at the AI technology that is coming, that is going to basically replace any skill, the question will be, what do we replace it with from a human perspective? So The question that comes to my mind hearing you saying all this is someone who doesn't have a hybrid identity, when we think about the future of work, should they have a hybrid identity or what's the downside of not having one? It's a great question. I don't want to advocate because I I feel like all three types, the singularity, multiplicity, and hybridity matter. And if we were to subtract any one of those from the equation, we'd have a gap. They all fill a need and it's up to each individual to decide which one they are because only you know who you are. Other people will tell you who you are, but you only know who you are. And so then if you decide you're in multiplicity or you're in um, singularity, advocate for that. Like what is the value of your multiplicity? What is the value of your singularity? Because all three have different types of value. The sociologist Marilyn Brewer, she talks about our need as humans to stand out and fit in, but you can't do both. And so in the middle of that is called optimal distinctiveness. And I think that's the the thing we need to be talking about more is how do you fit in, but also how are you distinct and not so radical that you're like the outlier and people don't understand you at all, or you just sound kind of crazy, but you're in that sweet spot where you know yourself You can talk about your professional identity, but you also serve the needs and connect with the culture and meet what a company says. And so it's it's finding that both and it's constantly navigating that line. And we're in a really weird time too, where like I just saw an article about the future of work in 2023 and beyond. And it's advocating for competencies and getting down to these core parts of knowing your talent. And I just struggle with that because If you do a LinkedIn search or really any kind of search and you say, I need a strategist or I need a business development person, you get millions of hits. Just 
the more of the branching tree of taxonomies and categories of skills we create, everybody has to fit one of those boxes or branches. So for me, it's the, the blend of the both end. The hybrid title or the title you call your professional identity should be unique to you. I am a creative disruptor. But then I have these skills or these identities of being the artist, educator, designer, researcher, which are very familiar and people can feel the categories they belong to. Because I could be a creative disruptor in the automobile industry, which is very different than being a creative disruptor in you know, the, the publishing author business. So you still have to kind of pick a zone of where you're applying because I know nothing about automobiles and I don't really care to go in that direction. So there's, there's places you belong, but you've got to know how to talk about this stuff. So I'm just putting more and more pressure, I think, on the individual to then help the employer know how to utilize you and how to support you and how to help you grow when you're in a team or in a company. I think we put far too much of the expectation on the employer to create your job opportunities, your career path, your, your future direction. And then when they let us down, we're like, I hate that employer. But where was your own responsibility to know what you want? So anyway, different conversation. I also think that uh, it's a very personal decision. It's your life and your career is part of your life. So you sort of need to take the lead on that, right? In, in all aspects. But let's talk a little bit about personal branding because you mentioned at the beginning, and I'm very interested to hear about how you think personal branding comes into play in all of this and how should we use our hybrid identity with personal branding to make sure that that becomes sort of visible and it sort of makes us also distinct, I guess. And this is where Unmatched <laughs> is also coming from yeah. um, because I also feel Unmatched is that unique place that you find that sweet spot in between all those different things that you figure out about yourself and in the middle, that's really you and what makes you you. So well said. I love that. So the personal branding side of this I think it's still controversial, like not everyone, quote unquote, needs a personal brand. I think it's totally optional. My definition roughly of personal brand is the act of intentionally putting your professional identity into the world. So knowing yourself, I think is important. Putting your professional identity in your LinkedIn or talking about it during an interview, like when people are like, tell us about yourself, like, how do you see yourself? Instead of referencing all your past job titles, start with your professional identity. Like, I'm Sarah Beth. I actually see myself as a creative disruptor. So even though my resume shows I was a teacher and a program designer and a this and a that, like the bigger picture of me is this. And so it connects your story. So I advise people to put their professional identity in the header of their LinkedIn because it makes them stand out. It's a little something different that you read. But then follow it up with the traditional titles or keywords that LinkedIn, the algorithm is going to search for. So it's it does the both and the human and the computer sides. Your bio and your website, how you talk about yourself in any about section, intros and emails or in networking, know how to use your professional identity consistently in conversations. I think it's when we're inconsistent and we be the chameleon and it's like, well, right now I'm talking to a group of you know, clients and so I want to show this side of me, but now I'm in front of my employer and I'm going to show this side of me and you keep changing to meet your audience. They don't have a consistent sense of how you see yourself because you're presenting so many different sides. Here's an example. I knew I was doing a job of personal branding just on a very basic level when I was working at this higher ed institution and I'd started talking about being a hybrid professional. I was still scared. It was still new. And I would socialize it like literally on one-on-one -on, -one on a coffee conversation. 
but I had done it obviously more than I realized. And my boss is in the hallway with me one day and these two strangers walk up because they're about to meet with her and I didn't know who they were. And they're like, oh, Joe and Sam, um, come here for a minute. I want you to meet Sarah Beth. She's our director of this program, but actually, you know, she's this hybrid because she's bringing her art and designer and educator background into this role. Like she used a version of my intro that showed me she was hearing me and she was valuing it and she could represent me the way I saw myself. So when you get to that level where people are talking about you, either when you're in the room or when you're not in the room, the way you talk about yourself, that's a huge win. To me, that's really building your brand. So those are some of my tips. And I find this beautiful, what you say on your website, and it's sort of linked to what you just said here. You say, everyone wins when we see each other for our full professional identity. What do you mean by that? Everyone wins when we see each other for our full professional identity. I mean that you feel the most seen when other people see you the way you want to be seen. It's they're valuing you and you're valuing yourself. And the, the equation is the same on both sides. I think the problem we run into is like you get these uh, like monikers or taglines assigned to you like, oh, you know, Oana, you're our marketing person, but really you're, you're a great client connector. And they start just calling you the client connector. And at first it's flattering. You're like, oh, thanks guys. Like, I appreciate that. But eventually that's like a new tagline you've been stuck with. And you're like, I want to drop this, this thing. That's, that's just like a label I was given, but that's not how I see myself. So I think to feel your fullest, you have to feel like people get you and you're known and understood. Like that is the pain point I just hear again and again. Absolutely makes sense. Tell us a little bit about your new book that is coming out. I mean, more than my title was groundbreaking and it was, <laughs> I guess, the first step in the process of educating people uh, on this topic. What's coming next? Oh my gosh, I'm really excited about this. You know, I didn't know this is my life's work. When I, I started the professional identity research, let's say back in 2010, because of my personal struggles with my career. And then got my PhD, like this was my dissertation research about intersectional identities in our work. And then by 2020, I published the first book, More Than My Title. And I really thought I'd be like, wipe my hands, I'm done. Like I can, oh, I don't have to write and research anymore. But when you find the thing you're so passionate about, you just can't stop thinking about it. It haunts you and then you have more questions. So in the last three years, people have come to me to work on their professional identity or hear me speak about it or train or whatever. And then the new side of the equation that's been emerging is, Sarah Beth, this is great. I feel empowered. I have permission. I'm using new language about myself. I feel like I know myself better. And how do I bring that into the world? Like, where do I go? What employer will understand me or where do I fit? I was like, what do you mean? Like, you just present yourself. And I was like, wait. They're really trying to find this idea of fit. And the more I thought about what fit is, fit's also an old idea. Fit is you becoming what someone else wants you to be. It's checking the boxes and you're molding yourself into some version of you that's partially you, but it's it's uncomfortable and it only lasts for a period of time. What I'm hearing is the underlying need is people are looking for belonging. They're looking for a place where they're accepted for themselves and they don't have to make those sacrifices. It's truly like we get you, we see you, and we value you for you. It's the ultimate feeling seen, known, and valued. So the next book is about career belonging. And it's turning out just a couple highlights of research that there is no common de definition of career. So I'll just start with that. Career is really defined by each individual. And the bigger idea too is that there's little C career and big C career. 
little C careers, I think what a lot of us start with in our minds of you go to school, you get a degree, you follow a path, you hit milestones, you get a certain salary, you get a certain title, you climb the ladder and you're achieving and you've hit these expectations, voila. But the big C career is when you start to realize that's not enough for you, like hitting the little milestones and all the external objective factors of career are not actually what your life is about of the work you want to do. You're looking to feel more empowered. You want to take opportunities that maybe don't always make sense or fit together. You want to be more connected with your values than the materialistic um, you know, benefits and drivers. So big C career is much more your internal sense of what you're doing in the world and how your professional identity is shining and being utilized in multiple ways. And only you can make sense of that and only you can define it. So it's a very big concept and I'm still putting a lot of words around it, but I think when you find that level of career, the big C career, then you find your career belonging because you're in something only you belong to. And then you can communicate it. You can tell people what you love and why, and you could do that in 10 different companies. It doesn't have to be a one-to-one fit anymore. Do you feel that that's linked in any way with having a purpose? Because you mentioned before, in a way, this this is your life's work and it must be linked to a purpose. And I'm just thinking what you're looking at when it comes to career fit and belonging and, and sort of reaching that higher level does that mean that you sort of need to figure out what your bigger purpose is? Yes and no. I'm not sure. I guess I'll answer it that way. Um, I I see a spectrum and I'm trying to work on this visual. So I'll give you my rough sketch. Um, one end is like job, work, little C career. It's just like the basic building blocks. Like having a job is different than a career. We kind of all get that. At the other end, though, are these things like purpose or calling or a term I'm using called career entelechy. Entelechy is your realized potential. Like we're all striving to develop and self-actualize and reach our potential. And if you reach career entelechy, you're you're there. So that's the furthest end of the spectrum. And I, I think it's very aspirational. I don't have clear guidance on like, here's what you do to reach your purpose and your calling. So I think those factor into the big C career. But big C career is also sort of letting go of the shoulds and the expectations and going through um, this big shift of your own stories and narratives of what career even is. It's like letting go of the model and reinventing it for yourself. To give you one more term, because I've got all these new terms in the book, there are five states of career being and getting into this space of big C career is about reaching career flight. So typically we think of career paths and we follow a path. And if you're not on a path, then you're pathless. And then if you're somewhere in between, you're like in this fight or I call it like career fight or freeze. You're like struggling. You're like, oh my God, what's wrong with me? I have to get back on a path. And it's so frustrating. It's exhausting. And I've been there. But when you let go of the expectation, like what if you don't have to be on a path? And what if you can be free and you can be in the air instead? I think flight is the most uplifting space of possibility and limitless potential because you can go in any direction you're in control and there's just freedom associated with flight where a path is about gravity and following something so these are the bigger concepts i'm trying to explore to get people to unblock 
and believe there are bigger ways to think about your life and your work than what we've been told. When are we going to be able to read this amazing book? <laughs> I feel like I now I need to dip into this topic now. I, this might be my first interview where I've even explained that much about it. It's obviously like bursting out of me. I am deep into the research and writing. My dream would be it's ready and coming out end of 2023, but probably more like early 2024. That's as close of a timeline as I have right now. So in order for people to start digging into this, let's let's give them a sense of where they can um, reach out to you on different platforms and what kind of tools you have available for them. Because I've used some of your tools that are for free. Thank you for that <laughs> on your website. But tell us a little bit of all the things that you have out there that people can start using and, and getting into this topic in more detail. Yeah, morethanmytitle.com is my platform. I have a newsletter, which... I've slowed down because I'm writing the book, but the newsletter comes out at least once or twice a month. And that's where you'll get my fresh thinking, whether it's new research or new tools. There's a section of freebies where I've got a variety of PDFs, everything from Venn diagrams and word lists, just to kind of whet your appetite, get you started. And then really, if you want more, there's the workbook and book. And then I have paused on offering group courses, but I do have an online course, um, which is great. It's very self-directed and kind of like having me as your little guide by the side. But I do some personal coaching still and I'm doing more speaking. So I'm, I'm trying to just get the message out there. And also I really believe in giving value without charging for it. I think people need these tools and they belong out there. So more than my title.com. And from the point of view of the people that need it, which I'm included in, I can only say thank you for bringing this into the world, for making it make sense. For a lot of us. And I can't wait to read your new book because it feels like it's going to be the next sort of level of, of understanding of this thing that we call career that we spend so much time in. Yes. Um, at times more than in our actual life, which is maybe not that good, but it, it does happen this way. So we might as well understand it and make it completely useful for us and for our lives. So thank you once again for that. And thank you for being part of the podcast. It was lovely to hear from you. I'm deeply flattered. And it's just it feels so good to meet people like you and know that the message is getting out there. So thank you so much for sharing this and having me. Thank you for tuning into Unmatched. Remember, building an unmatched brand is not just about success. It's not about popularity. It's about creating something truly remarkable that reflects who you are and what you stand for. So keep pushing yourself to go beyond what you think is possible. Keep taking risks, challenging yourself, and never settle for standard. And if you like what you hear, make sure to subscribe, leave a review, and follow us on social media to stay up to date on our latest episodes. Until next time, keep being unmatched.